Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Charles Bunker. So, um, this is my second one I'm doing in English. Um, I've heard the audience, and they asked me, hey, man, how come you're not doing this in English? And I said, why not? Let's do this in English, too. I've done a, a segment before, and it was pretty good. It was about health and exercising and what to eat. But today, I want to touch another subject that it's a little more sensitive uh, to our times. You know, it's, it's 2021. We survived the year. Yay! You know, a year ago, we were starting World War III. Now we're just happy to make it. So that's why I wanted to start with this segment for 2021. Today, my guest, it's an honor to have her, Dr. Nancy Glick. She received her medical degree at Rush Medical School, completed her residency in internal medicine at University of Washington in Seattle, and completed a fellowship in infectious disease at Rush University Hospital. She currently serves as medical director of HIV services for Access. Now, Dr. Glick's passion as physician includes keeping up to date with issues concerning HIV, STDs, resistant pathogens, which we're going to talk about in a minute, hepatitis, and she's also the medical director of Sinus Infectious Disease Center and associate professor of medicine. Dr. Glick, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. How's it going? It's going okay. It's great to be here with you. It's, 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 you're right. It was a crazy year. So hopefully 21 will be better. I, I think it will be because uh, we started with this amazing news at the end of the year. Uh, it was a horrible year, to say the least, when it came to the profession that you're in. But with that being said, how many years have you been practicing? I know you've been a doctor for a long time, but how many years have you been practicing in the medicine field? So I finished my infectious disease fellowship in 1998. So it's been 22 years. And I've been working in Sinai and as you mentioned, access since then. Nice 1998. That's actually my favorite year. It was the World Cup year. Anyways, it was a good year. It was a pretty good year. Uh, I w if I can go back in time, I probably go back to that one. But let's get back. <laughs> let's get into the subject. Um, okay. There there's a lot of questions that I have about this topic. Um, I, want, I want the audience to get an idea of how I'm going to build this because one thing is going to lead to the other one. It's going to be by blocks. So the first block I want to talk about is viruses, viruses itself. Tell me, what makes a virus so unique? Scientifically speaking, what makes it so unique? So what separates a virus from other things like bacteria, fungi, parasites, other types of infectious diseases? is that viruses need a host in order to live. So on their own, they cannot live by themselves. So bacteria, parasites, they can survive without another cell. But viruses need to integrate into another cell, usually you know, a person, an animal, whatever, in order to survive. Great. Uh, and I know that as I was doing the research for this topic, I know there's different types of viruses that attack different types of cells. For example, um, the HIV virus, even though it, it's a virus, it doesn't go away on its own after it, it infects the cell. Um, I think that there's some viruses that after a certain period of time, they just disappear or the body just gets rid, gets rid of them and whatnot, but not the HIV virus, which we need medicine for it. So what makes the viruses different from each other? Right. So there's viruses are different because they, they differ 
really for there's RNA viruses, DNA viruses, there's viruses that infect different types of cells. So HIV, which is really what I've been, I work, do a lot of work in. I work with a lot of people who are HIV positive and do HIV prevention work. So the HIV virus itself infects what we call T cells or CD4 cells. So it actually attacks and integrates into your immune system, takes over for the, the kind of how it works to make more viruses, spews them out, and then kills off your immune system, kills off those CD4 cells. So over time, your body can't keep up and your immune system weakens. But hepatitis, for example, that infects your liver cells, and that's where a lot of the damage gets done in your body is, is your liver cells. Now, you mentioned there are RNA and DNA viruses. What is a good example of a virus that attacks the DNA with the RNA? Because I know there's two different categories to the cell, and both of them do different things. So what is the difference between them two? Well, so in our, there's different examples of RNA viruses, and it's not that they integrate. It's the type of, of um, what they're made of. So it, HIV is RNA virus. Coronavirus is RNA virus. Hepatitis C is an RNA virus, but actually hepatitis B is a DNA virus. So it's a little more complex. Um, and it just, the RNA viruses you know, they may mutate more easily than a DNA virus. Oh, interesting. Now, I understand also there are some viruses that come from animals. And if I'm not mistaken, that's what's called zoonosis. Is that when when the viruses changes from an animal, that comes from an animal, and it gets to a human, for example, rabies. In my reading, I found out that rabies, it, because it comes to the saliva from an infected animal, you get rabies, but it, it doesn't originate with a human. It just comes from the animal. Also, um, West Nile fever, that's very common that we hear that a lot. How does that, how does that work? What is the mutation of a virus goes from an animal to a human? Because that, that's very right. far out, to be honest with you. So it's not, a zoonosis is not necessarily a virus. It could be a bacteria as well, but it's really that there's different hosts, that it's often that zoonosis are, um, that you have of an, infection, an infection that can go from an animal and it could be carried by a vector. So like West Nile virus, the vector is mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. And then it could cause them, the, the mosquito carries the virus, bites the person and injects the virus into the person. So... Zoonosis is really, it could be viruses, bacteria, but it goes, it's, it's really the transfer from a non-human to a human host. Because I also read that, um, and this actually happened to a family member of mine, that she ate uh, some pork that it wasn't cooked well. And then she had a, a, a not, I wouldn't say a parasite, because I don't think it's a parasite, but it, it's an infection. It probably in the is a parasite. It's an infection yeah. in the brain, uh, which I forgot the name uh, right now. Neurosister sarcosis. There you go. So that one. It is a parasite. Yeah, she, she had it. And when they found, she had uh, seizures and she had to end up in the hospital. And eventually they found out it was calcified. So it, it was interesting to me how you get a parasite from eating raw 
pork because that's that's what in our diet that that is very high. We eat a lot of pork, uh, and mm-hmm. I was shocked. People actually, the doctors thought it was more of a epilepsy versus that. Right. So it was interesting, and that's when I got my my um, my curiosity when she was getting diagnosed, and then she's like, "Oh, they has, she has a, a worm." And I was like, "What? A worm? Really?" So mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe it, and. Right. The doctor said one thing that actually caught my attention. Uh, and again, this was many years ago. This was in 99. Um, but one of the things that he said, it was that the immune system is the one that helped calcify this. He put it in a bubble. And that way, it either killed it or it helped not to spread. And that and that actually got my curiosity. And as I was reading, I noticed that the immune system, it's, it's very... It's very detailed. It has a, a lot of components to it, and and I'll try to get this this uh, this top this point in in detail as much as I can. But let's start with the very, very basic one, Every, the one that everybody has heard about, the white blood cells. What do they do? So you have a lot of questions in there, and your immune system is amazing. Like it just that you know what our immune systems are able to do. You know, it's rec- It's really the idea is a white blood cell is responding to, it could respond to like a foreign invader almost. So it could respond to an infection. And there's different types of white blood cells. There's your lymphocytes, there's your neutrophils. And of your lymphocytes, there's CD4 cells, CD8 cells, B cells, T cells. Um, but it's basically... Your white blood cell, their job is to recognize when there's something foreign and to figure out how to respond to it. So, it, you know, it can cause fever. It could cause other signs of inflammation. But that's what its job is to do. And that is very interesting because when I was a kid, my, my father told me once that a fever, when you had an infection, was a good thing because that was your body helping to fight the infection. And I always thought when I was a kid that a fever was bad because once you no, get a it's fever, good. yeah, once you get a fever, he's like, no, 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 he's killing the bad guys. And I'm like, what bad guys? What are you talking about? But that was <laughs> when I was a young kid in Mexico and I had no idea what was going on. And as I was reading, because I, I got very curious about it, I read about something called the phagocytes. Now, I understand that phago means to eat. Cytes mean cell. So there's actually cells that eat other cells. Is that, is that what it means? Right. It's basically they'll they'll recognize this foreign invader. You have the phagocyte that goes and basically eats it up and tries to get rid of it. And then there's like debris. And the debris is what sometimes will cause your body, the other type of the immune system to activate. So it will go basically see this, let's say it's a bacteria or a a cell that's infected with a virus and it will try to eat it up and get rid of it. And either it can be successful or it kind of brings the backup in to help fight it off. Interesting. I, I always told my kids that everything in our society, it's very, it's very connected and similar. That sounds a lot like a, like, a, like a whole army going at war. First you send the artillery and they fight and then you do the cleanup and then you do the restoration. It's, it's very interesting because I've noticed here too that there's a lot of other organs that are that are um, involved. For example, the spleen. I had no idea what the spleen was before I read any of this. 
So what does the spleen do? What is exactly the job? Because I've heard that, that it doesn't do anything. You can take it out and it's not important. But it, it sounds like it is. It is. I mean, you can get you know your spleen taken out and still be fine. But basically, it's like your the place where it responds to these invaders. So you have a lot of lymph lymphocytes, lymph nodes, lymph in your spleen, and it will be one of the first places where you can have a um, the ability to fight off infection. So someone without a spleen. If they get infected with something, they could get really sick from it. They could have really high fevers, really high white blood cell counts because their spleen isn't there to kind of buffer it to, to really fight off the infection. And what about the drainage system that the body has, which is... Geez, the I lymph forget. nodes. Yes, the, the lymph, lymph nodes. Yes, your lymph nodes or your lymphatic system. So basically, it's a whole system that will activate and then gets rid of kind of all the bad stuff, the toxins, the leftovers, and and gets rid of it and drains it from your body. So you may notice sometimes if you have a sore throat, or you know you're you had dental work, you have a dental infection, you'll notice that your lymph nodes are swollen. So those are responding. It's like they're activating to respond to the infection, and then they're gonna get rid get the cells out get the debris get it into your lymphatic system and get rid of it from your body you know that's a that's a very good to know because you know people tell me that i have a chunky face so from now on i'm gonna say it's my lymphatic system working and taking out all the infection <laughs> right. that i have I, i'm gonna stick with it i'm sorry i it's like dr yeah. glick told me and that's oh, what's going on right. <laughs> Which brings us to the next topic, and that's why I wanted to build this to very basic um, biological information to the topic, because we know that that the coronavirus, it's it's believed right now because of the media, I blame the media, that this is a brand new virus. Now, I know there has been other two cases in the last 20 years, scientists have faced the coronavirus. One of them, it's the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, and the second one is the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Can you explain those two to us? Sure. So basically, the coronavirus, is a, it's a kind of an umbrella term for a lot of viruses. And so we most people have probably had a coronavirus. Coronavirus can cause colds. You know, most commonly, it's known to cause colds. But there were two episodes, um, as you mentioned, SARS in 2002-2003, and then uh, MERS, which I think was in 2012. And those were also coronavirus. The thing that stands out is that these coronaviruses are new to us. So the one, the MERS virus started, you know, we it probably started in camels. And the MERS virus was uh, in the Middle East mostly the cases, and SARS virus really came from China. And there, I think there was about 9,000 cases worldwide. But yep. there was a significant amount of deaths associated with both of them because these were new to us. We had never seen them before. Yeah, and it's interesting because I was reading on the CDC webpage uh, regarding those two. And the first one, like you said, it was in China with the Soviet cat. That's why actually it was very interesting to me to find out that this viruses could be 
from animals that, if I say in quotes, transfer to humans. And then the second mm -hmm. one was in Saudi Arabia in 2012 that actually came from, from camels. So I, I believe that even though they were already there with animals, it's, it is new to us as humans because there's only been two cases in, in the whole world where we actually know about the coronavirus, which is, again, interesting. Right. I mean, but that's what a lot of viruses do. They mutate. And then when, you know, flu viruses like the flu pandemic in 1918, that was a new virus to us. Our, we had never seen that type of flu before. So that's what viruses can do when they change. They can cause that like a new infection, which can be very severe. And to my understanding, there's thousands and thousands of viruses that we expose to every day that we are right. not even aware of, but then we have our regular life and that's going on. And, right. you know, we, we become, well, we have that trust that our immune system is good. So we, I guess in the back of my mind, I would say that I'm not worried about it because me being from a third world country, my immune system is probably uh, very solid versus somebody who, who right. is not from a third world country and I can walk around without any worries. But there are some people who are, their, their immune system is, is it's not as good as mine. So that could be a problem. And in your specialty, I'm pretty sure you've seen like with patients with HIV who their immune system, it's completely compromised. Right. So... Someone who has HIV who's not on medication, if they are exposed to certain types of viruses or bacteria or parasites, they don't have the normal defense. Most people will have the ability to fight these things off if you're exposed. Our body does a really good job at it for the most part. But people who have a, you know, whether it's from HIV people who are maybe um, getting treated for cancer, people who are immune compromised in other ways um, are more susceptible to, to these unusual types of viruses or other infections. Now, to my understanding and, and touching back a little bit on, on the immune system, I understand that the immune system cannot do everything on its own. It has to get help from outside sources, for example, vaccines. Now, vaccines had never had a good reputation when they recently come out. Uh, polio didn't have a good reputation, and I think it was it was uh, smallpox or measles that they, because one of them it's like the actual dead dead virus, if I'm not mistaken, that gets injected. Right. And I remember From that smallpox, right? Yeah, when I read it in, in a book called um, "Vaccines and 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 Deadly Disease," mentioned in the book that thousands of people didn't want to get that vaccine because it was a dead virus. So they thought they were going to get the actual virus and they refused it and many people died. So what do you, why do you think that vaccines get such a bad rep? Because that's pretty much what we're seeing right now. Right. So I think we have, you know, the problem is that, well, vaccines are really our best defense against viruses. You know, we have antibiotics to fight bacteria, we have other, but there's not a lot of good, you know, treatments for a lot of viruses. So vaccines historically have really been our best bet. And vaccines overall, when you think about it, we we vaccinate, you know, millions, if not billions of people with them. 
and they're very, very safe. And I think overall, we have to kind of remember that. But I think in the past, there's been missteps with vaccines. And there's kind of a meta, there's mistrust of the medical system or what intentions are. You know, we can think about things like Tuskegee with syphilis. Or we can think about when, you know, there were times when they used the polio virus in certain ways and they, they used needles and that, that, you know, we reused needles with the polio vaccine yeah. and it caused a hepatitis C outbreak in Egypt. So there have been times when it hasn't been done correctly. But overall... And I can't reiterate this enough. Vaccines are one of the safest, most effective interventions that we have. You did mention smallpox as a vaccine. I know that a lot of the vaccines also have side effects. And I want to mention the one from smallpox, mild rash that could last two to four days, swelling tenderness of the lymph nodes, which we said it's actual doing its job. If it gets a little inflamed, it means that it's doing its job because it's cleaning and, and draining out everything that's, that is foreign, as you said. Right. And it could last from two to four weeks. A little bit of fever, which we also said it's something that it's normal from the body. They could go up to 100 uh, degrees Fahrenheit, and that's in 70% of children and 17% of adults. Secondary blisters somewhere else in the body, one out of 1,900 people. So yeah, I mean, if I'm if I did not know anything about vaccines, or if I didn't have a conversation with you, and somebody comes to me and says, "Listen, this happens, right? You you get these side effects, you get these reactions to the vaccine, without knowing any information in the background of how the body works, how you know vaccines work, how the system works. If I would know any of this, I will get a little petrified and a little scared of this these conditions. So will you will you say that? even though we have a lot of information available to us on Google and whatnot, all other sources of information on the internet, we're still disconnected on the basic information of how this whole thing works. I, I sometimes feel like that's the case. Mm -hmm. Well, right. I think that is the case. I think you've kind of hit it right on there because, you know, the reality is that there's so much misinformation now. I mean, you could go on to do a Google search of vaccines and, who knows what you're going to find when you do that research. But we don't have, like, the like no one is agreeing to the basic information, the, rea the real information. So you don't know if what you're getting is a good source of information or if it's just something who knows who has put it out there. And it's one thing if someone says, oh, I got a vaccine and then I got sick a week later. That's one person, but when you study it and, you know, like our, these COVID vaccines have been studied so far in what, 75,000 people, you can see what's really going to stand out about that. So I think it's really important if people are getting information is that they make sure that the information they have is accurate and it's scientifically driven. Yeah, and one of the things that I also had a conversation with uh, anti-vaxxer, not to not to mention anything negative about anti-vaxxers. Again, they can have their own ideas and beliefs. I'm not here to change that. But we had a, a discussion about the um, the tuberculosis. So me, born in Mexico, and when you're a baby, they inject the the TV vaccine, right? Um, I come I come to the United States, and they say they don't have it, and I said, cool. 
in in my case, if I get skin test, it's gonna be positive because apparently when I was younger, they injected me the that bacteria of the TV, so I'm always positive. So well, that's kind of true. Oh, okay, explain that to but, me because again, to okay. me, it I'm like, okay, that vaccine helped me out. I, I guess it's great. It stops me from taking nine months of medicine or four months of medicine, right? Right. Well, so the B, it's called BCG. And what it is, is it's a, it's a sister to tuberculosis that you're injected with. So it's, a, it's, it's like a, it's similar. It's in the same family, but it's not tuberculosis. And what it does, why people would get it when there's a lot of tuberculosis around, you would give it to babies so that if they got, if they were exposed to tuberculosis, you would have a milder case because what you were trying to prevent is TB meningitis, which could cause deafness. It could cause a lot of other problems. So many people may have gotten it if they come from places in the world where there's a lot of TB. Now, the reality is it doesn't last that long. So if you are, if you got it when you were five and you're 45, that BCG vaccine doesn't mean anything anymore. So here in the States where there's not a lot of TB, they, there's no, people don't get it. See, and, and that proves my point because I'm here at my 40, now 45, 40 um, years of thinking I'm, I'm protected for TB and me basing on information that I got when I was younger, now I learned that I'm not, if, if I get exposed to TV, then it's going to be a, a serious problem. And I'm thinking I'm protected. So this is the misinformation that I was trying to bring home, that we have so many ideas on what Google says, what Facebook says, what Twitter says, and then what your parents told you and what you believe. And you bring this whole right. thing, this whole pot of ideas and then we get confused. And then these new things are coming out and new information is coming out. Science is advancing rapidly at this time. And we just get confused. So I, I feel that the majority of people who might be against the vaccine is because of the misinformation that's out there. Right. I agree. I think there's a lot of people who get information that they maybe hear from someone they know who they trust about most things. But who knows where they're getting the information from? You know, like they it may not be accurate. So, um, you know, I know with the I know we're going to talk more about the COVID vaccine, but people do have some side effects. But that's not a bad thing. You know, that those are it's a response. Your body's responding to it. So, yeah. And good thing that you mentioned that the vaccine. Let's, we can talk about it right now. Um, I understand that the vaccine, it's its new technology. Now, when you say technology, automatically you think, oh, they're putting a chip on me or I'm going to get the 5G and, and I don't want that. <laughs> but what it means, and as I was reading, what they mean by technology is that, like we said, in other vaccines, they use either a sister uh, to the TV, for example, or a dead virus or whatnot. But in this case, they're using a protein that's similar to the RNA of the uh, coronavirus. So that to me was very interesting because now we're actually going to the to the center of the cellular structure of a virus. I that's unheard of in my lifetime. Again, I I thought I was protected to TV. Now they're bringing out 
these protein makeups and I'm like, what are you talking about? So can you explain a little bit more on, on the actual vaccine and how it's produced? Sure. So it is newer technology, but there is no chip involved. So just to talk quickly about the chip, the chip is, I think where it came from, because I had to do a little research on this, is that it is that when they were trying to figure out how to figure out who was getting which package of vaccines. So they were going to put a chip on the package of, let's say, 100 or 10,000 vaccines so they could monitor the, the box as it traveled across the country. There was never a chip. There is not a chip in the coronavirus vaccine. So just there's just to put that out there. So the way that this this vaccine works, and it's different, and in some ways it's it's newer technology, but it's been studied for a long time. It's mRNA, and you know, what what it does, it's injected, and it tells your cell in your in your cell, not in the nucleus, but in the cytoplasm, how to make this protein. Your body, your cells make the protein and releases it, and the protein is part what it's very similar to what the coronavirus protein looks like, one spike on it. So there's never any active virus in, being injected into your body. And then this RNA that's injected or this it, it's dissolved within a few days. But meanwhile your body is saying, oh I think I've seen this new virus. We're gonna like create a response to it. So in case it comes again your body will be prepared. So the safe thing about this virus is you're never, there's no virus associated with it. Your body is just making a tiny little piece of this virus just so you could create the immune response. So what you're saying is that... I don't that, know if that makes sense. No, yeah, I, I, I try to make sense out of it um, because to begin with, I should have asked this question before, what is RNA? <laughs> I didn't... I, I didn't think it was going to get that a little complex for me. So what is RNA? So messenger RNA basically is tells your cells how to make things. Okay, it. it's, it's like a little protein that's inside your cells that has instructions how to make different things in your body. I understand. So when you get this vaccine, the COVID vaccine, you get that protein that's the mimic of the uh, the coronavirus, and then your cell pretty much gets that message. And when you see that, ident when they identify that in your body, your immune system already recognizes. Is that what you're going with? Is that what I, I that's what I understood? Pretty much so. So pretty much so. So base, yeah. It's it's basically telling your body how to create this little protein from the coronavirus. So what, then when the bo your body sees the real coronavirus, it's ready for it. See, interesting. And it will get rid of it. See, and, and that's interesting because I, I always thought, man, you guys, scientists are imitating dead viruses. They're killing viruses. They're making viruses that are dead. And now they're actually going into a deeper level of a cell and they're creating proteins. That's incredible. It is pretty incredible. And I think it's actually what's going to make this vaccine even safer than the ones we've had. Because you don't have to risk getting the virus from it. And and that's what it sounds like. I mean, I got another other vaccines, like I mentioned before, and, and I had some, you know, side effects like we talked earlier. 
But this one, this one is just, it just sounds out of this world. I've, in 98, I would have never thought this was going to be the case, you know? So it's very interesting in a scientific way. But I can also understand and can relate to other people who are afraid. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, before I, I got the vaccine myself, I was a little concerned. I was a little uh, worried. So for all the people that are worried out there, what would you tell them? Well, I think that, I mean, I too, I got my first vaccine and I'm getting my second dose on Friday. And I was a little worried just because you felt like, okay, it's newer. It's something we don't know much about. Um, I think what I would tell people is that we, we have a lot of good information already. So we know from the studies with the two, with the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, we already have, you know, 75,000 people who are in those studies. In this country, we've vaccinated close to 4 million people so far. So the safety of a vaccine, you usually find it pretty quickly. And there have not been safety concerns with it. So then the question is, how efficient, how effective is it? How, you know, is this going to work? And so far, at least three months out, it looks like this vaccine is working well. So even though people are hesitant, I think the fact is there's already been millions of people who have safely gotten this vaccine. Now, you mentioned the uh, the side effects because you were concerned as I was. And based on, the, on what the CDC says about it, some of the side effects are pain. I mean, obviously, whenever you get um, an injection or any sort of sharp thing into pain. my body, it's going to have pain. That's the only reason why. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's the only reason why because I, I always wanted a tattoo. Off, off track, but I always wanted a tattoo. And the first thing they say is, people that know me, they're like, why would you want to get a tattoo if you're even afraid to get an injection? I said, I, that's why I, have, I don't have any tattoos because I'm petrified of needles. So even with the flu shot, uh, every year I always delay it until the very last day so I don't have to go through the right. pain. And I can understand the pain and, and then an actual fear of needles. So that, that could be a phobia too that can stop somebody from actually getting the vaccine. Sure. Although I have to say that I did not think the vaccine hurt when I got it. Really? And I've heard that from a lot of people. Yeah. I actually get hurt. Yeah, actually, I, when I had my vaccine, I my arm hurt for about a day and a half. But it, it's it was more of a soreness than anything. It wasn't like an excruciating pain where my arm I couldn't move my arm because that's yeah. one of one of the things that I heard. Like, oh my god, it's gonna hurt so much, and you can't move your arm, and it's gonna get all swollen. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't get any swelling. That's what the CDC says. You could get swelling, fevers. I didn't get fevers, chills. I didn't get tired. I didn't get headaches, but out of all the, the people that you've heard that got the vaccine in your studies, what was the percentage of people getting the side effects? So more people, like you mentioned, you can get these side effects. You could get them from the day of the vaccine. Uh, most people, if you're going to have side effects, you'll have them the next day. It's more common with the second dose. So your body is already kind of primed for it. So I think in the studies, they were, I want to say it was closer to 20% of people at the second dose had some type of side effect. And that could be anything from, you know, tenderness at the site. You could get tiredness, body aches. Some people would get a fever the next day, but almost everything, every all the people were better within 
24, maybe 48 hours. And that's something to expect. You know, we tell people if you're going to get the vaccine, try to do it when you have a day off the next day in case you're not feeling 100%. But overall, the symptoms are mild and they definitely get better pretty quickly. See, I had mine on the 21st of December and I thought if, I, if I'm going to get all the, all the side effects, might as well get them before Christmas. That way I can get a whole two weeks off. Nothing, nothing. So my plan was ruined. Um, One of your colleagues did mention to me that when you are young, the uh, immune system kicks in harder when you get the vaccine versus somebody who's over the age of 50. And the explanation she gave me was very interesting. So can you elaborate on that, how younger people can actually get the symptoms a little more stronger versus somebody who's over 50? Right. I think it's 50 or 55. You have, you're more likely to have um, side effects when you're younger because your immune system is stronger. You know, we know that you, you know, I, and that like people, like, let's say you get exposed to a virus, you may feel a lot worse when you're younger because your immune system is so robust. It's that fighting it off that causes you to have the uh, kind of those symptoms of it. But the older you get, your immune system isn't quite as strong. Um, And so you may have just a milder side effects. I mean, that being said, there's a lot of people who are young who get the vaccine and have no side effects, but it's still working. So it's important to remember that, too. See, that's another thing I'm going to use in my favor versus me having a chunky face and my lymphatic system working. When I get a cold and I'm knocked on my bed and my wife says, hey, man, you know, you're a man. You're knocked out because of a cold. I'll be like, because I'm younger and my immune system is really <laughs> kicking my butt. So if any <laughs> men are hearing me out there, you have an excellent weapon to justify why we get like babies when we have a cold. Um, yeah, good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I invented the I pledge the fifth. Whenever I get a question that I want to answer, I say, listen, my constitutional right, I, I pledge the fifth. I don't have to answer if I don't want to. And my my male friends have used it and it worked. So I think this could stick as huh. well. <laughs> All right. So when to call a doctor? Based on the CDC, it says if the redness or tenderness, um, again, it, it increases after 24 hours. Uh, the side effects not to worry about. Obviously, the ones they mentioned was the shortness of breath and troubles breathing, a rash that you get right away, feeling like you're uh, swelling in your mouth and your tongue. But usually, so if you have a history of anaphylaxis to anything, you should you'll be monitored for 30 minutes. Most people will be monitored for 15 minutes after they get the vaccine. But if you have a history, so you've had a severe allergic reaction, you could still get the vaccine. It just, you'll be monitored longer. And if you're someone who carries an EpiPen with you, you should bring it with you just in case. Got it. That's important information, you guys. Uh, when you go take the vaccine, if you go, if you're allergic, take your EpiPen. That's that's a good idea. Because, again, I've I've heard other people that did and have allergies and didn't take it. So that's that's a huge risk we don't want to take. Uh, so myths on the vaccine, we already talked about the chip. That's the number right. one based on the Chicago Tribune and the myths. Um, yeah, it was very, very um, unbelievable. 
for me to believe that the government was going to put chips on every single needle out there. I mean, developing a chip as well as for a cell phone, it, it costs thousands of dollars. Even a, ch a chip smaller than that, it's unbelievable. So, again, guys, we know that it's, it's not real. It's not true. Okay, that's a myth. The second one, the uh, vaccine will alter your DNA. Okay, so that's why in the beginning I wanted to explain a little bit more on the DNA virus versus the RNA viruses because, as we know, the coronavirus, it's an RNA virus based on what you've said. So there's no way you can change your DNA because it doesn't, it doesn't connect to the DNA. Right, and you're injecting, you're, check, you're injecting messenger RNA, which is basically just telling your RNA how to make this protein. So it never gets... Goes in, it never goes into your DNA. I think there's a lot of misconception that it gets integrated into your DNA and you'll pass it on to your children. It doesn't go near your DNA. It doesn't get incorporated. And it gets destroyed within a few days. So in that way, there's nothing to worry about. Myth number four, our immune systems are better than vaccines. That one, even though it's a little far-fetched and it's number four on this list, I think it should have been number two because a lot of people believe that the immune system will be a lot better than the vaccine. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I have been working with people for the last nine months with COVID. And I will tell you that for some people, it's pretty mild. Some people have no symptoms. But I unfortunately have seen way too many people not do well with this virus. And it could be that they're hospitalized, um, maybe needing oxygen. But I've also seen people who require ventilation, mechanical ventilation. And I've seen quite a few people pass away from this virus. And we have this, you know, this idea, oh, that only happens to old people. Fortunately, that's not true. This virus often will affect people who are older, but it can also affect people who have diabetes or heart disease or who are overweight. And then sometimes it will be very severe in people who have no risk factors. So it's when you're thinking about which would you rather get, you know, your immune system may do well with this virus, but it really may not do well. And even if your system does okay and you pass it on to someone else, their system may not do well with it. So I really encourage people not to take that approach. In my line of work, I heard a story about a gentleman who was in an emergency room. And the first thing he said was, can you please let my family know that I'm okay. And second of all, can you make sure I survive? Now, with that being said, when they were telling me the story, I put myself in his shoes and I said to myself, what would I respond to that? I mean, there are no guarantees as a doctor or as a nurse or as a technician or anybody who's seen patients in, in, in this position to say, yeah, don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll get you. We'll get you there. We'll see you, you know, when you cross the other side, when you, when we take you off the ventilator. And I, it puts me in a position to, to again, not to think as a, as a political perspective or doubt the science behind it. It's more of a humane thing, you know. Um, 
again, growing up in a third world country, I've seen a lot of people who have fallen into certain diseases that could be avoided, and it's unfortunate. What do you say in that case? How do you make a patient feel better after knowing that they have a, a condition that could kill them? It's hard. I mean, you do. You have to let them know that there'll be someone there with them. I mean, that's one thing that's been difficult about this virus, too, is that so many people can't have their family members at their bedside when they are intubated or just in need of family, when they're in need of reassurance. So the medical staff does a tremendous job, the nurses, the other providers, doctors, people who can go in with the patient just to try to reassure them that, you know, we'll do everything we can to get you through that. But unfortunately, we know a lot more than we did in March and April, but there's still not, there's not a cure. There's not great treatment for it if you're, you know, that severely ill. And you just have to try to reassure people that, that we'll do everything we can. And and I want to thank you too, because I know that your job at this point, it, it, it's hard. I mean, being a doctor itself, every day, it's hard, especially in the at Sinai, that I understand it's a level one trauma, you get people who are shot, stabbed, and all different kinds of, of things uh, walking into that building. And yet now you adding to that, this whole pandemic and the patients with COVID, when they have to be hospitalized, intubated, and that's just putting a lot of stress on a lot of, of the personnel. And I'm pretty sure you you felt that, that again, that, that, that anguish, the tiresome sensation that, that impotence at some point of not being able to help somebody who who can easily would have been avoided to be in that position so i i really want to yeah. thank you for all the work that you do it's it's tremendous everybody tells everybody says oh the surgeons are the no 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 not the surgeons not this time at least we're not gonna give them to the surgeons this time one more question before we close this is my curiosity uh like i said i had the vaccine but i haven't taken the flu shot okay um, again, I'm afraid of needles. I think one is enough for now. But how long do I need to wait before I actually can get the flu shot? So that's a good question. So you should get your second COVID vaccine, which you probably will get, what, next week? Yes. Um, and then you're, uh, so you want to wait at least two weeks until you get the flu shot. So we just don't know yet how it is to administer this vaccine with other vaccines. So the recommendations is you want to wait at least two weeks to get okay. the flu shot. Now, I know yeah. a lot of a lot of um, people out there are very skeptical about the flu shot. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm one of them, but I do get it just in case, because again, I want to do my responsibility socially for people who I might get the flu and then give it to them. So I, I want to be at least be in that sense protected. But if anybody's out there and they're skeptical about any of these two Go and get some information. Again, I, I wanted to cover this very basic, and that's why I started this segment like that, with very basic information on biology because we forget about that. That If we are not in the field, we will forget about how this works. So I, I, I really right. wanted to, to emphasize that just at least for this year, get the flu shot, get the COVID, and if you need boosters, go get them too. Why not? I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you need them or not, but I, I think it's important. I, I really think that this year, it's most of all, it, we need to do that little help that we can. What do you think? 
I agree. I mean, I think, you know, when we think about how are we going to get out of this, how are we going to make next Thanksgiving and Christmas, New Year's better? The only way out right now is getting vaccinated. And we are, you know, you're like you mentioned, it's like we're doing this as for the good of society. We're doing it to help ourselves, but we're also doing it to help other people in our in our communities. And so I agree with you. Get get your COVID vaccine, get your flu shot, protect yourself, and let's move beyond, you know. I, I agree a hundred percent. So Dr. Glick, any closing statements before I, I close this? Anything else you want to let the people know or any or I, Any shout-outs to anyone? Well, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate the chance to do it. I think people, like, just, I guess what I would say is get good information. If you have doubts, talk to people. Talk to doctors. Talk to people who know about this vaccine. Um, but, But really get some, just get good, solid scientific information. Awesome, guys. On my behalf, thank you very much for listening to this segment. Ah, this is why I like this is why I like doing podcasts, and this is why I like doing this because I get to learn so much good information when it comes to the research, the reading, the the actual websites where I go. And just a uh, just as a uh, you know a little personal note, I always go to the ones that says .org or .gov. Those are the ones that actually I do feel like they gave the best information out there. .com sounds a little iffy. Go to the actual sources. Um, with that being said, thank you very much, everybody. It's been a pleasure, and I will do more in English. I promise. It, it didn't. It didn't sound that bad with my accent, right? Not at all. It was great. You awesome. Great. Thank you. You haven't heard it in Spanish. Okay. Anyways, guys. So thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy this this segment as much as I did doing it. Again, like, share. And if you think this information was very basic and you think you knew all of this, perfect. You know it's a good information. Share it for somebody to somebody who might not know it so we can actually pass the word out. All right. This has been Charles Bunker. Deuces, guys. <laughs>